The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us this Friday. And I'm so glad that we have our guests from all the way across the Atlantic today. Uh, we are joined today by Claire Robinson. And she is leading a campaign along with an organization called GMOaction.org. In fact, you can check out their website while we speak with Claire. If you want to look at what they're doing, don't close this tab in your web browser. Open up a new tab and check out their website, gmoaction.org, and there you can follow along. What she's going to be talking to us today is about a campaign uh, to fight an issue that is really important to a lot of us, and, and it c- comes right down to what we eat. And what's been going on in the UK is that some of the supermarkets have decided that they will procure animal products, meat, dairy, eggs, etc., uh, after these animals have been fed genetically modified crops and, and feedstock. So uh, she's leading a campaign to fight that, and I'm so excited to have you on the show, Claire. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Well, it's a delight to have you on, and I'd like to, to begin by having you explain this campaign that you're working on. Give us a bit of background on what prompted the campaign and what your goals are for this campaign. Sure, yes. Well, for many years, uh, the UK supermarkets have been quite resistant to using GM feed in in their supply chain for their animal products. Um, However, in recent years, it has been creeping in a bit. And um, we understand that cows um, are sometimes fed a bit of GM feed and so are pigs. And uh, quite recently, the supermarkets all of a sudden, um, four of them decided that they were no longer going to require non-GM feed for their poultry products. So that's chicken and eggs. And so far, they had been uh, non-GM fed. So we think that this is uh, very much the thin end of the wedge and that soon the supermarkets will be trying to sneak in GM ingredients, even in human food, in their own brand products. So far, in the UK and in most of Europe, um, humans really don't eat much GM, GM crops. It's all going into animal feed. So we think this is a very dangerous development that they're allowing it in poultry um, supply chains. And uh, we'd like to stop it. Well, let me ask you this. When these supermarkets had previously put out a policy that they would not allow genetically modified feed to be part of their supply chains, um, what was their rationale for the policy then? What were they saying? It was purely consumer rejection because 
in the UK, uh, the people really do not want GM ingredients in their animal feed supply chains or in their human food. And that pretty much goes for most of Europe as well, where we find that wherever people know about GM crops, they reject them. So as a result of that, the supermarkets have been very responsive. Actually, this happened in 1999. Um, the supermarkets didn't really know about GM ingredients. And all of a sudden, uh, a number of us in, in the UK found out that these ingredients were creeping in from America, unfortunately, mm -hmm. in, into our supermarket supply chains, um, even in human food. And one of our supermarkets tried to sell a genetically modified tomato paste. And um, nobody really knew much about about GMOs at that time. And even the environmental organizations like Friends of the Earth and Greenpeace um, were really not fighting it as far as we know. And what happened actually was the impetus did not come from environmental groups or activists, um, people like me. It actually came from scientists. Um, all of a sudden, scientists were warning um, environmental groups hey, these GM foods are not safe. They haven't been shown to be safe. The data shows that there is, is cause for concern and you should oppose this um, and you should fight this getting into the food and feed chain. So a number of us started a campaign and even then it, it took a while for, for the environmental groups to um, to get onto this, this issue because it is a very technical um, and quite a complex issue really. We're talking about fiddling with the genome and that isn't really something that most people know about. And certainly I didn't know about it at the time. I had to be educated by scientists. Mm -hmm. So um, bit by bit, awareness grew. And we started out um, in 1999, I think it was, uh, actually writing letters to Iceland supermarkets. And we asked Iceland if they would please keep GM ingredients out of all their own brand products. And the chief executive of Iceland was actually horrified when he, he heard about GM. He did his own research. He talked to scientists and he became very worried. And spontaneously, he suddenly decided that Iceland would go GM free virtually overnight. And uh, all the other supermarkets rapidly followed in the UK. So um, we, are, we still are in a situation where there isn't any GM ingredients getting into the human food very much anyway, you do find the odd product that, that is labeled, you know, contains genetically modified corn or something, but it's very unusual. And uh, mostly uh, humans in Europe are, are not eating GMOs. So we are concerned about this latest development. And the supermarkets told us that the reason for this development is that non-GM soy is increasingly difficult to source from Brazil. Really? Yes. And why is that so? Is it because, you know, the, there's such a demand for it that, um, you know, they, they, no one's growing non-GM soy there? Or well, it's, why is that happening? It's a very disturbing situation. Um, we've been monitoring the situation in Brazil now for many years. Um, by the way, I, I don't only work with GMO Action. I'm, I'm also an editor at GM Watch, and we've been going since 1999, and we've been monitoring the GM situation since then. 
And what we've observed is um, a steady process of uh, takeover of Brazil on the part of big companies like Monsanto in particular um, as a, a GM growing ground. And really, it's been possible because um, initially the seeds were smuggled into Brazil. The, the Brazilian government initially had banned growing of, of GMOs in Brazil. Um, they were very aware that the European and the Japanese markets do not want genetically modified ingredients in, in their food and feed supply. So they had a nice little industry growing um, non-GM soy for the European and Japanese markets. But increasingly what happened in Brazil was that GM seeds were smuggled in and they were given to farmers. And uh, very soon, farmers were growing these seeds. Uh, the farmers were told that they were um, magic, high-performing seeds that would yield better and that they would simplify weed management. They could spray them with Roundup and kill all the weeds and that the crop would survive. They were told all the good selling points of, of these GM crops. They weren't told about any of the problems, um, like the, the glyphosate-resistant weeds that soon came up through the overuse of this herbicide on, on the GM crops. So um, increasingly, we had a problem of increasing GM contamination in Brazil. And um, unfortunately, the, the whole Brazilian soy industry is very much controlled by companies like Cargill and Monsanto, who are very heavily invested in GM technology. And um, these these two companies and ADM as well, um, Archer Daniels Midland, they have a huge control over the ports, um, over what farmers grow. Um, there is a massive consolidation of the seed industry uh, in the direction of GMOs in Brazil. So it's become actually incredibly difficult to source non-GM seeds in some areas of Brazil. And also um, what's happened is that the farmers that grow non-GM are penalized by Monsanto. If any GM contamination is found in their crop, they then have to pay royalties to Monsanto, even though they didn't intend to grow GM. So the farmers are really in a bind. And um, in some ways, it's much easier for them to grow GM. They, they no, no longer have to fear contamination or having to pay surprise royalties to Monsanto. Um, so this is what's happened in Brazil. But um, what we're finding there now is that because of all the, the glyphosate resistant weeds that have grown up in Brazil, um, a lot of farmers really want to return to non-GM. And they find that non-GM seeds are virtually impossible to buy there um, because Monsanto dominates the seed market and it's withdrawn a lot of the, the high performing non-GM seed from the market. And that's happened in the U.S. as well. We've had yes. uh, farmers from the United States talk about the same situation. And, of mm -hmm. course, um, you know anyone who's paying attention to this issue in the U.S. has heard about uh, various lawsuits that have happened that have been filed against farmers whose, whose crops were grown juxtaposed to genetically modified crops. And, of course, the wind blows and pollinates these non-GMO seeds. But when... Uh, you know, they're examined and there's some GM uh, found in those crops, then they get sued, even though, as you mentioned, they never meant to plant genetically modified seeds. But it's yes. just natural pollination, and uh, they call it contamination. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, 
So for this one supermarket company uh, in the UK who's retained their policy of non-GMO feed in the animal products that they sell, I think the supermarket's name was Waitrose. Yes. What will they do? How, how will they be able to find animal products without GMO feed in the supply chain? Well, Waitrose has made a public announcement that they're, uh, according to their, um, th- their viewpoint, there is enough non-GM soy available in Brazil. And I believe that what happened was when the other supermarkets said that they were no longer maintaining their non-GM feed policy, all of a sudden that freed up some more non-GM soy from Brazil. So Waitrose was probably able to snap that up too. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we do know is that various supermarkets in um, mainland Europe, particularly Germany and France, um, do maintain their non-GM fed uh, animal products, so meat, dairy and fish and so so forth. And the, the way that they're doing it is they are placing advance contracts with Brazilian soy farmers. And this is what is needed. Um, it's no good going to the Brazilian farmers when the harvest is in, the soy is on the market and saying to them, oh, we need more non-GM soy, because, of course, it just doesn't work like that, really. Mm-hmm. The farmers need the, need the security of those advanced contracts in place. And this is what the supermarkets in mainland Europe have taken care to do. Um, Carrefour is, is a, a major example. It's a French supermarket, and they are um, keeping a non-GM-fed um, animal product line, especially. And uh, they, they actually make sure that they, they put in their contracts um, for the growing of non-GM soy well in advance. And uh, they basically contract to the farmers to grow it. And um, people in Brazil have told us that the re- one of the reasons that more farmers in Brazil are now growing um, GM crops is that they get their entire advance finance package from Monsanto. They call oh. it the Bank of Monsanto. So, you know, you do as a farmer, you really do need finance in advance of of your harvest. So um, you're working on a very big scale. So what happens is that they go to Monsanto, they get the loan, they get the seeds, they get the chemicals to go with those seeds. And it's all set up for them. And they they don't need to fear contamination lawsuits or um, having to pay extra royalties when they deliver their harvest. So it's it's made easy for them. Um, wow. Whereas that isn't the case with the, the non-GM soy growers. It, it is actually quite hard to um, obtain finance. Um, I was told by one soy producer that he had to finance his own operation, and he said he was large enough to do that, but a lot of farmers are not. Of course not. I mean, a lot of farmers, you know, have fairly small operations, yes. um, and and we like that. We like small farms, you know, that that have that personal care and and family business ethic. Well, we've got to take a quick break, but there's so much more coming um, after we return from the break. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, 
he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just tuning in, our guest today is Claire Robinson, and she's been following the genetically modified organism or genetically modified food uh, movement, (laughs) if you will, um, since 1999. And she's working on a campaign right now that uh, is going on with supermarkets in the United Kingdom. Um, They've recently changed – well. Some of them have recently changed their position and are now allowing animal products, particularly poultry products, to come into their supermarkets after those animals have been fed genetically modified feed. This is a reversal of an earlier policy. And so we're talking about this campaign and the the reasons for this shift in policy and what uh, the public reaction has been. Claire, before we went to break uh, last time, I was pretty stunned when you mentioned that Supermarkets, uh, some of the European supermarkets are actually the ones who contract for the non-genetically modified feed for the animals that will ultimately result in animal products in their supermarkets. We do not hear of that kind of um, interjection on the part of grocery chains in the United States to control that part of the supply chain unless it's their own store brands. But but in terms of private labels of, of animal products, that's not something that we hear about. And I found that to be pretty remarkable leadership. Um, tell us a little bit more about the role that supermarkets play in this complete supply chain picture. 
Sure. I, I should clarify that the supermarkets um, in the UK and in mainland Europe that, that uh, maintained um, a non-GM fed policy, um, this was only in relation to their own store brand. I see. So um, they, they couldn't control brands that they, they would buy in. However, um, because GM food, GM human food ingredients have to be labeled as such, um, in Europe generally, what's happened actually is that no retailer wants products on their shelves that are labeled GM mm-hmm. because it is equivalent to putting a skull and crossbones on your product as a, <laughs> um, an, an agribusiness consultant him, himself pointed out. Mm-hmm. So um, really, you, you don't find it in, in the human food, but it has been creeping into animal feed because the animal feed um only the farmer sees the label. The consumer does not see the label. And therefore, it's hidden from consumers. And mm-hmm. uh, really, th- it has been a creeping policy to allow um, genetically modified ingredients to go in, into the, the animal feed. However, um, the supermarkets, we have been very impressed by how they've shown leadership and r- a real response to the consumers and um, I think they are very, very aware in Europe that um, they have to satisfy the consumers and the consumers in Europe just do not want GM in their food and feed supply chains. Um, one thing that, that one of our supermarkets has actually done in response to all the bad publicity about genetically modified soy getting into the, the animal feed is that they're actually contracting with European farmers to grow our own protein crops um, within Europe so that we, we no longer have to import genetically modified soy from South America, but we can grow our own protein crops. So that's one good development. And um, and I think that developments like that, we're hoping to see more and more of them. Well, I'll tell you, I, I think it's encouraging that everyday citizens um, in the UK and across Europe are so well informed. Uh, just last year, here in the United States, in my home state of California, there was a ballot measure that was uh, up for voters' approval that would not even eliminate genetically modified food, but will require it to be labeled. Yes. Uh, pretty simple. Uh, and it was defeated. And yeah. the the rationale, the number one reason that was given by opponents of this measure, which we know all the players, <laughs> all the same companies <laughs> that you mentioned in segment one, um, was that it would increase food prices. That if we put this on the labels, all of a sudden – you know, that's going to make your grocery bill so high, even though any savvy consumer knows that they have graphic designers working on new packages just about every month for a lot of consumer goods. It's not like the packaging stays the same. There's always some new and improved label. You know, I mean, we could just slap on a GMO label. It wouldn't be that hard in the middle of that habitual process anyway. But I, I think it's pretty amazing that there's such a high level of consumer education on this. How was that accomplished, Claire? How How is it that there's such disparity between between European consumers and and U.S. consumers on this issue. Well, I must say we we can't be too complacent here. There is there has been a generally higher awareness in the past about genetically modified ingredients in Europe than there has been in the U.S. But I must say that this has has really, really reversed itself almost because, funnily enough, um, in the UK here, our news is incredibly well controlled. Um, that we have this kind of lobby group 
called the Science Media Center, which all the newspapers call about any science story regarding GM particularly. And our government is incredibly pro-GM. They just want to push GM for all they're worth. And they've even said that the UK will go ahead and grow genetically modified crops, even if the rest of Europe doesn't want to. So we have a government saying one thing, and the brainwashing is um, going on every single day, uh, courtesy of groups like the Science Media Centre, who like to tell us that uh, genetically modified crops are perfectly safe. However, when you come down to it, if anyone has actually heard about GM and you say to them, point blank, do you want to eat genetically modified crops? Almost everybody will say no way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just a case really of people being aware um, that it's going on. And in America for many years, people, most people weren't even aware that this was being done to their food. And I think the labeling campaign has been outrageously successful. And I can honestly say that um, every GM development that, that has happened in Europe or any Anywhere. We've actually had more media interest and more citizen interest from the U.S. just in the last couple of years. And this is entirely because of, of all your citizens who have been working so hard on the labeling campaign. Um, there has been a massive awakening in America to uh, this aspect of, of their food supply. So I think things are changing. And certainly at the moment, the Americans are carrying the torch mm -hmm. with regard to um, awareness about GM crops. So we can't be too complacent, but um, really our big victory in, in Europe was getting GM labeling. And mm -hmm. once you have GM labeling, um, it's really the end of GM ingredients because mm -hmm. nobody wants them. Uh, right. Only the people who don't know about the issue will continue eating it for a while. But even in China, um, you know, we're in touch with, with activists in China and they tell us that even there, there's a, a rising middle class there who absolutely do not want to eat genetically modified crops and they don't want it fed to their animals either. So mm -hmm. um, as a result of this, China recently um, entertained a delegation from Brazil of soy producers. And the Chinese government told these soy producers, China wants non-GM soy. Can you please supply us with 10 to 15 million tons worth of non-GM soy? Mm -hmm. So this quite shocked the Brazilians because, uh, you know, they, they think that they're doing pretty well with GM soy. Right. So, well, I know, you know this is they're true. They're going to have to think about it and, uh, and really improve their, their infrastructure for, for growing non-GM because China is their biggest market. In China, they have quite a bit of, uh, you know, resistance to a variety of, uh, of different, you know, food poisonings, food problems, and things such as that. And uh, I think that that really this is something that's going to, to affect how they, um, you know, they embrace GMOs and if whether or not they do or or whether or not they don't. Um, I think that some of the, the reasoning for that is that simply, you know, with all of the environmental pollution and all of the things that they've seen uh, happen to their trees, their rivers, um, let's, uh, you know, let's talk about that in the next segment. I think that they've been tainted by that and, and China is going to be a big driver in the 21st century. Well, we're going to be going to break and we'll be back with much more Go Green Radio right after this. 
news, opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today's topic is really one that I think there is burgeoning concern about in the U.S. Um, we're starting to get more and more savvy to this issue of genetically modified organism, organisms, genetically modified food. Um, but it's kind of a little late for us. Um, whereas our guest today, Claire Robinson, who's in Europe, has mentioned that, uh, you know, GMO food has been labeled, if it is present at all in supermarkets in in Europe, um, it, it, there hasn't been that kind of a movement in the United States before the food got into our supermarkets. It's already there. And so now activists who are concerned about this genetically modified food being, whether it's in human food or in the feedstock of the animals that we ultimately consume, um, now the push is to try and get these genetically modified foods labeled, and that didn't go so well. Um, in California last year, as I mentioned in the last segment, a ballot measure that would have required genetically modified food to be labeled was shot down by voters. And they were they were told, and this is fallacious, but they were told that labeling gen- genetically modified food would increase food costs, um, even though, as I mentioned, <laughs> you know, food labels are changing all the time. Graphic designers make a lot of money changing the labels and and putting new and improved and and fun little graphics all over the food the packaged food that we eat so adding a genetically modified label really wouldn't take much in terms of of uh, you know, the graphic design or printing that would be involved in doing so. Some of the things that we're finding is that, you know, 
basically what a genetically modified organism is, is that there's a gene that's taken from some other organism. Could be a fish, could be some bacteria, what have you. Genes that are inserted into the DNA of various crops, corn, uh, soy, etc. And what happens is these genes are inserted to make them resistant to pests. I mean, there are some genes that make the the foods less appealing to bugs. And then there are genes that are inserted that make crops very, very resistant to pesticides like or herbicides like, um, you know, Roundup. And what's, uh, you know, what, what's happening with that is that some of these genes that we thought would just be broken down in the intestinal tract of anybody consuming it are actually showing up, at least in animal testing, in the liver and in other organs outside of the intestinal tract. So this idea that a genetically modified organism, that the, that the genes would just pass through the consumer, uh, may not be the case. Uh, Claire, I want to talk more about why we should be concerned about genetically modified food. That may not be self-evident to all of our listeners. If genetically modified feed is given to animals and then we consume the animal products, does the genetically modified feed, or is there evidence to suggest that the genetically modified feed changes the meat, the milk, or the eggs in the animals that we consume? Yes, there is one study. This is really an understudied subject. There there aren't many studies looking into this. There is one study showing that um, if you feed young goats um, genetically modified soy, then they end up with higher levels of an enzyme called lactic dehydrogenase um, in their organs. And um, this enzyme is is often released uh, when the cells are injured or when there's inflammation going on in the body. So what we're eating is actually um, the products of sick animals, um, we could say. And uh, there are actually many um, studies, toxicological feeding studies uh, on laboratory animals. Um, There are quite a number of them which we we list in our uh, report, which is available online, the Earth Open Source Report. It's called GMO Myths and Truths. And in Section 3 of that report, you can see all the studies that show that uh, genetically modified crops have been found to be more toxic or more allergenic than the non-GM equivalent crop. And there are now quite a a number of studies showing this. Um, So these are independent studies done by independent scientists. Uh, The GM industry insists that that their GM foods are safe. They do their own studies prior to um, approval of these GM products. And they say that their studies show that the GM foods are safe. But actually, even when you look at the industry studies, which are incredibly short, um, you can still see signs of toxicity in in the animals that are fed GM crops. And mostly, um, this is liver or kidney toxicity and sometimes immune reactions as well we're seeing in those animals. Um, Very few long-term studies have been done toxicological studies, and the ones that have been done have have shown cause for concern. Well, what about the, um, you know, this ill impact transferring over into humans? So if there's this negative impact to the health of the animals, 
uh, you know, even even in the United States, we've been having a um, you know an outbreak of a virus in young piglets, and mm. they're getting very very sick. And the pork industry is telling us that it's okay. Uh, you know, we're upset because we're losing piglets. Some of them are dying, uh, primarily because of terrible diarrhea. It's very, you know, awful. Uh, but the pork that remains is safe for human consumption. And I talk to, you know, just my friends, soccer moms like myself, and I ask them, how do you feel about serving pork products from a sick animal? And without without any uh, equivocation, every one of them says that's disgusting. So yeah. nobody wants to eat the products of a sick animal if we know it's sick. And so yeah. how is that? Is that crazy? Are we just being uh, hypersensitive? Or is there some uh, potentially ill health effect for humans to eating animals that have... You know, either been denigrated by genetically modified feed or or otherwise ill. It's a very interesting question, and it's one where our intuition is is actually wiser than the state of the science, because obviously (laughs) there have been no long-term studies looking at uh, what happens to humans when you feed them sick animals and, you know, when you feed them healthy animals. However, intuitively, as you say, we all know that it cannot be good um, to eat the products of sick animals or um, for example, there was a study just done recently um, by an Australian scientist called Dr. Judy Carman on pigs and she fed one set of pigs uh, GM feed and the other set of pigs non-GM feed and she found that the GM fed pigs had a far higher level of stomach inflammation and not only that, but their uterus was heavier, and nobody really knows what that means until we do further investigations, but it could mean a condition like endometriosis um, or even some kind of cancerous condition in the uterus. And this could possibly explain why there are so many um, American farmers who apparently have had the experience of feeding their animals GM feed and all of a sudden they're getting reproductive problems in their animals and also digestive problems. And um, unfortunately, what's happened now in the U.S. is that there really is no longer a control group because most of the feed is GM. So, um, you know, that farmer awareness has decreased a little. And it's just now starting up in in Europe, um, in Denmark. We've had a pig farmer called Ib Pedersen who has found terrible results when he started feeding, um, quite innocently, he started feeding his pigs uh, GM soy without thinking too much about it, you know, just thinking, oh, yes, this is a change in, in the feed. And he noticed reproductive problems in his pigs. Um, They were all of a sudden giving birth to piglets that were malformed, had a lot of Mm -hmm. birth defects. And also digestive problems, constant diarrhea. He spent a fortune in antibiotics, trying to keep the animals healthy. And he also had a lot of uh, piglet mortality as well. So as an experiment, um, this farmer just decided to go back to a non-GM feed um, diet for his pigs and miraculously his problems went away. And he Mm -hmm. said, interestingly, that even though it was more expensive for him to source the non-GM feed for his pigs, he said um, the money that he saved in vet bills and uh, antibiotic treatment for his animals 
more than paid for, for the switch uh, back to non-GM feed. And um, interestingly, he didn't quite believe his results, so consequently he, he went back to feeding GM feed and found that the products, um, the, the problems that he was having reoccurred. So uh, now he, he's kind of like a, an advertising salesman for, for non-GM feed. He goes around Europe uh, telling other farmers about his experience. And um, oh, he does think that there's something seriously to be concerned about. Well, you know, we had um, a few months ago, we had two guests on my, my show at the same time. One is a man that we call the, the Pope of Pork here in the United States. And he's very similar to the farmer that you mentioned. He had some uh, issues with some of the contained animal feeding operation methodology and, and yeah. antibiotic use and then went to a more natural, more healthy way of raising his pigs and did a lot of documenting of, of what was happening. And then we also had a pediatrician on and he was talking about the impact that antibiotic use in livestock is having when those livestock become animal products that we feed and our kids. And one of the interesting facts that they brought up during that show was that 80% of the antibiotic use in the United States is in livestock, not in human beings. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty alarming when our, our food supply is one part, you know, the influence of big ag and and gene- genetically modified food, and one part pharmaceutical. Um, it's it, there are a lot of folks who are beginning to to watch this with horror, <laughs> yeah. you know, and really choosing local farmers markets as a result. Are you seeing that people in the UK are beginning to think about eating um, less animal products? Is there any co- kind of movement toward, uh, you know, becoming a vegetarian or vegan or something like that? I mean, are people in the UK going in that direction or are they just digging in their heels and saying, you know, we're going to fight so that we can have uh, non-GM animal products in our in our yeah. food. It's an interesting point. Here in the UK, we're not seeing a mass move away from meat. There is a very modest decrease. I think since 2007, there's been a, a 13% decrease in the amount of meat that people buy to cook at home. But conversely, there's been a rise in um, the, the, the kind of meat that you buy when you're out, you know, at restaurants or um, at kebab. Um, places. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really seeing a, a, a massive move away from meat. But what we are seeing, I think, is an increased awareness in how that meat is, is raised. And uh, certainly farmers markets are now very popular here. And um, I've heard some people say that, uh, you know, they, they tend not to eat organic vegetables, but they do eat organic meat, even though it's, it's quite a bit more expensive than non-organic because they rightly say that, um, you know, the pesticides and the antibiotics and all this concentration of problems that's afflicting um, the the agribusiness model of livestock raising. And uh, here in in Europe as well, people are getting increasingly worried about these big um, confined feed operations that Mm -hmm. we've we've basically got the idea from the Americans and it's come over here now. And uh, Europeans like Europeans like to feel that their cows are out in fields, you know, grazing Mm -hmm. and happy. But increasingly, those cows are being shut away and and raised in confined feeding operations and fed things like genetically modified soy. 
And there is a rising awareness about that, and we are seeing increased sales of things like grass-fed beef, um, grass-fed milk as well, which, which I think is definitely a good thing. Well, I mean, obviously, nature knows what it's doing. I mean, it did for thousands of years, and so that sort of operation makes perfect sense, um, yes. you know, intuitively and and scientifically as well. Yes. You know, one of the things I found really alarming on the website that you have and, and some subsequent websites that I looked at was, you know, the human health impacts um, in areas where genetically modified feedstock is grown. Um, yes. I think that this is a really, um, yeah, this, this is a social justice issue. And for anyone who cares at all about their fellow human beings, it's a, it's a part of the genetically modified food process that we must not ignore. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, this, this is deeply, deeply shocking. And I think it's actually a, a, a public health scandal. And a, like you say, a human rights scandal, really almost on a par with slavery. Um, you, you may think I'm exaggerating when I say that, but we, we were very active in, in England in um, starting and supporting the slave trade. And the reason that people got away with it for so long was that all the terrible things that happened to the slaves were happening away from England. So people were in denial that these people were suffering. And what we're seeing in South America is a terrible situation where um, this is something we've been alerted to by scientists, again, not by activists, but by scientists and doctors. And they've told us that there is a public health crisis going on in the areas of Argentina and Brazil, Paraguay, um, various South American countries where genetically modified soy is grown and it is sprayed with Roundup from the air, Roundup herbicide. And the herbicide drifts into people's homes, it drifts into schools, it drifts into watercourses, it gets everywhere. It's even apparently in the rain. Mm. And what has happened is that we, we see increased, massively increased rates of cancer and birth defects in these populations that get sprayed. And not only those diseases, but other things as well, um, terrible kidney and liver disease, uh, skin conditions, skin rashes in babies because they, they get exposed to the spray. And it is, it is absolutely a, a, a human rights scandal. And uh, we even had uh, two ladies um, who live in Argentina in one of these soy-producing areas, and one of them led a lawsuit to get the spraying banned in her particular area, and she won the lawsuit. Her and her fellow residents won the lawsuit, but um, it's a very partial victory, of course, because the, the court ruling only applies to, to the area where she lives, and meantime, this goes on all over the country. And there are hundreds of millions of litres of this herbicide that are sprayed over the people. And one of the scientists, Andres Carrasco, who I've spoken to about this, said there are about 10 million people affected by this spraying. Um, so this is a, a huge problem. And wherever this soy is grown, uh, you're, you're running the risk of, of people being exposed. Um, these people really don't have a voice because 
Um, there are people making very big money out of growing genetically modified soy in South America. And um, apparently the feeling is, in Brazil particularly, uh, that people are doing very well out of GM soy. Um, a small number of people are getting very wealthy. The government depends on, on the revenue um, from this crop. And so, so what if a few people are going to be harmed? Um, that is the attitude. And this, this of course, we, we cannot allow to continue. It's an absolute scandal. We're using those products. We're feeding them to our livestock. And this, to me, is no different from what went on in slavery when we were, we were using the, the tea and the cotton and the sugar that those slaves were growing. And um, our economy um, was very much dependent on that. And, you know, this is just a human rights scandal. It's a terrible thing. Well, and, and it's interesting, the, the comparison that you make. And one of the things that GMO proponents will say over and over again is that, you know, you, you can use less herbicide with the Roundup Ready seeds that we provide. But what, what's been happening over time is that the very weeds that used to succumb to that one big spray of Roundup you know, on the crops and the crops could handle it because they were genetically modified to be able to resist that and the weeds couldn't resist. Well, now they can. And we're beginning to see what they call super weeds that are resistant to the Roundup. And now they're creating harsher, stronger um, versions of Roundup so that it's it's much more toxic. So when you talk about spraying it especially from the air, which is what they're doing in South America, and the way that it becomes, you know, um, put out into the atmosphere that way. I mean, that's, that's bound to impact much more than the weeds and the crops. Um, it can't help but get into the soil and the, you know, the waterways. But uh, that's one of the big um, myths about genetically modified organisms is that, you know, you, you can use less of these chemicals to get rid of the weeds. Um, One of the other things that we... Oh, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Yeah. Uh, One of the the things that has has become very clear um, over the past um, 15, 16 years of of growing genetically modified crops in, in North America is that the amount of herbicide... Um, herbicide, by the way, is a pesticide technically. So um, I'm going to say that the amount of pesticide that is sprayed on GM crops has just skyrocketed since their introduction in, in North America. And since then, the same thing has happened in South America. And this is now well um, documented in scientific studies and government data that um, the pesticide use in Brazil has gone through the roof. Same thing in Argentina. Same thing in the U.S. Um, there's a, a more modest increase in the U.S. of pesticide increase due to genetically modified crops. And also, nobody should fool themselves that Roundup is safe. Um, we've looked into the, the independent scientific research on Roundup, and it is um, linked with uh, birth defects, cancer, genetic damage. There, there's just been a study coming out of Brazil showing that um, people who work in soybean plantations uh, have a very high level of genetic damage, much higher than than people who are not in contact with uh, Roundup Ready soy. 
So that is, is something that we should really worry about. Genetic damage, by the way, leads to birth defects and cancer. Right. You know, there's something that we have to address um, in the few minutes that we have left in the show, and that is that when all other arguments fail, genetically modified organism proponents will say, look, we've got a swelling population here on Earth, and this is the only way we're going to be able to feed everybody. What are your thoughts on that, Claire? Yeah, this is such a huge myth. Um, it would be wonderful if genetically modified crops yielded better than non-GM crops. Perhaps then we'd, we'd consider, you know, turning our backs to the scientific evidence that shows that they're toxic. However, there is very good research to show that genetically modified crops do not yield better. So there's no way that we're going to feed the world with GM crops because there is actually a yield drag um, from genetically modified soy. It seems to yield less well than uh, the non-GM soy. And also GM crops are not better at, at resisting um, things like extreme climate, you know, drought and uh, saline soils and things like this. There really are no genetically modified crops available that are better than non-GM crops at doing that. Even There is one drought-resistant maize that's genetically modified that's been released in America, but even the USDA says that it doesn't perform better than conventional drought-tolerant varieties. So um, to those people who think that only GM is going to feed the world, I say how, because it doesn't yield better, um, it doesn't use less pesticide, it uses more. You know, how... how is it isn't more nutritious. <laughs> it's Sorry, not as if we're raising... The, the uh, nutrition value, you know, it's, uh, it's not any more nutritious than no, traditional there, crops. There's, there's no, crop, no GM crop that uh, is more nutritious than a non-GM crop. So it, it's a well, complete myth that has been uh, foisted on us by the GM companies. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on, Claire. This was very uh, engaging and insightful, and I hope it will give our listeners much to think about, much more to explore. You can begin doing that by going to gmoaction.org, and from there you'll find links to some other great websites that can show you uh, more and more uh, about. And, and tell us again the report that you helped to write, Claire. Where can we find yes, that? Certainly. This was a report that I wrote with two genetic engineers, and it's called GMO Myths and Truths. And, and what website is that found on? I'm sorry? And, and what website is that found on? Yes, that's on the Earth Open Source website. So that's earthopensource.org. All right. Well, thank you so much, Claire, and thank you so much to our thank listeners you. for joining us. We'll be back same time, same place next week. So until then, everybody, have a great week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.